listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of ST Times. And now, here's Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of ST Times. Yes, hello, everyone. Uh, as you heard, this is the What the Dev podcast from ST Times. So uh, last month, we introduced the notion of value stream intelligence uh, in an episode with uh, Adam Dahlgren from a company called Allstacks, who's in the value stream space. Uh, today, we're fortunate to have with us Allstacks co-founder and CEO, Hirsch Tapadia, who's going to talk about uh, the company behind value stream intelligence. Uh, how are you doing today, Hirsch? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good, good. So uh, maybe you could just tell me about why uh, you started Allstacks and what you were seeing uh, you know, in the software development space at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So the story of how I started Allstacks is really kind of, I, I realize in hindsight, it's kind of a culmination of a lot of experiences that I had in my career. But there's a there's a couple that I think are pretty poignant. So I started out my professional career at IBM and I was working in a division, the WebSphere division, for mm-hmm. people who have heard of that. Sure. And I was I had a couple different jobs there, but I just had this kind of overarching notion of does anyone really know what we do here? You know, like a very office space like uh, situation, and I kept asking folks around me. You know, there were like five thousand of us in this building, and I just kept asking folks around me, I said, "Like, how does this impact the business? You know, like, right? What is? What is? Does this matter? Do, does anyone care if I finish my work today?" And I couldn't really get a good answer to that, and it was just deeply unsatisfying as a individual contributor to not know how the work I was doing was aligned to the goals of the business. I, I find that very challenging. Yeah. But I was pretty young and I just kind of filed that away in the back of my head right? and moved on and got the, the fortune to join a startup that was growing really quickly and kind of got addicted to startups and eventually found my way into founding a, a medical device startup. And that quickly got acquired by another company in the kind of pharmaceutical supply chain space. Mm-hmm. And in that, I found myself running engineering and product. And there was a lot of conflict in the company. We, we you know, we we were challenged to figure out in a pretty like innovative space. We were doing supply chain security, we were doing anti-counterfeiting work, we were working with opioids and we and there was just a lot of moving pieces and, and it was fairly complex, you know, penetrating a uh, a, a software organization inside of a pharmaceutical organization was was pretty tough. But one of the challenges I con- continuously found was I found it really hard to explain what software development teams were doing, what my teams were doing, mm-hmm. and how they were creating value to someone right. who was very smart. You know, our CEO was very smart, but wasn't really a software guy, right? They're a pharmaceutical guy, R&D person. Sure. Uh, and well, we isn't, let me let me just ask, hasn't that always been the problem uh, of this great divide between what was going on in IT and what the business, mm-hmm. what they were going to be getting? I mean, that's historically, we've been writing about that, you know, as right. they talk, around 25 years, we've been writing about Absolutely. that. Absolutely. The problem is perennial, right? And and in fact, on our bookshelf here in the office, I've got a 
a book written by AT&T on software development practices from 1988. Wow. And a lot of the content, content of the book is highly relevant <laughs> and, and not at all dated in terms of how they talk about metrics and flow and, mm-hmm. and uh, how we measure outcomes versus output and all the content in the book. It's just like as if it was written yesterday. Wow. Um, but what we found was that this particular experience of mine was exacerbated because not only was it a pharmaceutical and a software person trying to communicate with each other, but, you know, we were data heavy. We were a data heavy organization. Like the work we were doing was machine learning and data analytics and just like integrating all these different sources of data. And we said, we really can't seem to compute this and have this conversation in a productive way, just like you said, right? There's this big chasm between the two parts of the org. And so, you know, I filed that away. And eventually, Jeremy, my CTO, I think you spoke to earlier, and and myself, and then eventually Adam, we were kind of wandering around trying to figure out what we were going to do here. And uh, what we found was we kept, kept in the back of our head this idea that one thing that was different this time around was we could capture the data from the tools because everyone had everything had kind of gone API first. Right. We could capture that data without asking anybody to input anything, anybody to change their process, anybody to change their behavior. And that we felt like was really, really key. And so as we interviewed a bunch of people, we said, gosh, everybody seems to be having this problem. Um, it doesn't seem to be a, a good solution, but the one thing that was continuously clear was this two notions of every engineering leader saying, I don't know how to solve this problem, and I would pay to solve this problem. So is it okay, there's something here. Mm-hmm. And the, I think that really, the, there's two pieces that were super important in our evolution. One was, we used to be developers, and we said, would we do anything <laughs> to like curate data for someone else to make make that reporting easier. And we're like, no, we when we were developers, we would not do any of that work. It gets in the way of our own work. So we have to build a, a platform that allows you to operate without asking anything extra of the people producing the value ultimately. That's brilliant. And we had to service the person in the in the organization who is at the intersection of the most streams of information. So we took this middle out approach, right? So that middle management layer in a company actually has an incredible amount of influence and power in the organization. It may not seem obvious, right? Like middle manager is is often maligned, right? Inside of societal constructs. Mm -hmm. But if you really think about it, like this director of engineering, for example, is not only managing the processes of their teams and the, the quality of life for their people, but they're also interfacing with like their product and product marketing and CS counterparts, trying to make them successful. They're trying to make the VP of engineering successful. They're trying to communicate priorities down. They're trying to communicate capabilities up. They're trying to manage commitments, right? They're, they're at this crossroads that's incredibly challenging to manage, mm-hmm. always being asked for things, but never really getting anything. Right. So let me let me ask you this question because uh, th- this is an important point that you made about being able to finally uh, collect all this data without people having to go out of their way to input anything. 
So how did you guys determine what metrics you were going to be looking at and then figure out what to do with them? Or did the data Uh itself kind of inform what your next steps were going to be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what we what we set out to do was try to design sets of metrics that were in tension with each other. So what that means is if you took you know, we talk a lot about like gaming metrics, right? People talk about gaming metrics. So you ask for more lines of code, you'll just get more lines of code, or the code will be useless. So, okay, if I get more lines of code, what are the set of metrics that would be damaged by writing more code for the set of sake of writing more code? So, okay, well, if I write more code, do I actually churn more code? You know, do I, am I rewriting the same code over and over? If I'm rewriting the same code over, do my tests start to fail? And are they brittle or, you know, are we not passing? If those things are happening, do I not open as many PRs and do my PRs, you know, get left for dead and and stale and never actually get closed? Um, So we don't actually ultimately generate any value out into the into the code base. And so we had this concept of there's there are these groups of metrics that are in tension with one another, like the one I just described. And if you optimize these metrics together holistically, the the end result would literally be just a high-performing engineering team that's very balanced. But if you optimize one at the expense of the others, it would be very obvious that you're trying to game the system in a way that doesn't create value. And so that's that's how we started to design these metrics. And then we said metrics by themselves won't actually solve the problem. And so we created this idea of three pillars of of engineering management of of this analytics platform. And so one is we call commitments. Second pillar is capabilities. And then the third pillar is anomalies or risks. So we basically say there are things that you've set out to do, right? Maybe you have key strategic goals for a business and these roll down like maybe in an OKR format. And then those eventually come out to some feature delivery or some, you know, customer commitment or something like that. And we're trying to work towards delivering that body of work on some timeline. And we need to understand, is that body of work, is that timeline shifting, right? Is it getting later? Is it getting earlier? Is it getting later faster, Hmm. right? Something that's late but steady is very different than something that's early but getting later every day. Hmm. We have to communicate that. So that's like our commitments pillar. We do a lot of forecasting algorithms around that. The capabilities pillar is then to understand, it's really centered around the metrics and say on the median, how do our processes typically work? And what targets do we wanna be at? Let's say you want to review every PR within 48 hours and that's like a team goal. Well, how do we make that team goal kind of actually attainable? Well. The third pillar is our anomalies. And in the anomalies, we identify everything that's breaking that contract. And we give you context around it to help pull it in. Mm-hmm. And that's how we design the platform around this three pillar construct. And we think that works at kind of every level of the organization, which then allows the entire organization mm-hmm. to ultimately solve that, go- that problem I had back at IBM, which is I'm a, I'm a developer working on stuff. And I don't know if my stuff matters. Right. And I'm worried that I might be at the, the source of the next layoff, for example. Right. 
Right. Wow. So, so let me answer this question. Uh, it seems that a lot of people, well, we, we know that value streams began really in manufacturing of, you know, of physical uh, devices and parts and things. Uh, so, but your background also is in software. So did that give you at the beginning a little more insight into, into what this problem was? I mean, I, I understand what you were saying that while you were working in the software company, you weren't sure if what you were doing mattered to anybody. But was it maybe some of that also, that pharmaceutical background that led mm-hmm. you to this point of being able to see, well, we can apply some of those things to software, even though it's not uh, you know, an even match because software is constantly changing and in manufacturing and just creating the same part over and over and over again. Uh, so, so was that part Absolutely. of uh, um, one of the things I, I think about a lot. So the, the first company I founded was in infectious diseases. And so one of the things we think about a lot is epidemiology. And so, you know, our, our most recent pandemic, right. COVID one of the big challenges, communication challenges was this distinction between the kind of community outcome and the individual outcome. Right. And we see the same problem in software development. So if you looked at a county and you said, we took all these measures to help people fight COVID. And as a result, the the rate of infection in the county dropped by 25 percent. You know, at the county level, we'd call that a win. Sure. But if you were one of the people in the county that still got COVID, you'd say, well, it doesn't feel like we're winning, right? right? And so there's this like challenge between the two. And so that's why we did that kind of capabilities and anomalies pillar inside of all stacks. Because in the same way, we say, on the whole, uh, we improve velocity, our flow inside of our organization by 25%. That says, that's great. There's some product manager saying, but my thing is late, right? My thing is not getting across the line. And so that, that, that analogy is there. And so the thing we talk about a lot is you're trying to improve your population, right? You, you manage to your median and then go and wrangle your outliers, right? If you're going to do kind of overwhelming effort, put it on the outliers. Don't put it on your regular stuff because your regular stuff is kind of operating at the rate that it's operating. And we can make incremental improvements there. And then we, we you know, if you're going to put in a Herculean improvement somewhere, Find your biggest bang for your buck outlier and put it put it over there. That's uh, that's really interesting stuff. So where do you see things now today? Uh, obviously, there's a lot of momentum around value stream management, and uh, more organizations are taking a, a harder look at it. We started covering it in 2018, right around the time mm-hmm. uh, you know you guys were also kind of in that space, and we saw a lot of confusion in the early years. People couldn't define yep. what does value mean. How, how do we even define value? You know, what is this thing? I don't even understand it. Uh, yeah. To a point now where uh, it almost follows uh, parallels like an agile track where it started yep. in the development teams and now is organizations are figuring out, well, how can we use value streams everywhere in our organization? So right. where do you kind of see where things are today and, and you know, where... You know, is this the end point for this or, you know, in terms of continuously improving, where where do we go from here? Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't think it's the end point. I, I think one of the biggest shifts is that there's a broader understanding of how 
this kind of product work, right, whether it be software or something else, is ultimately contributing to the, the outcomes of the business. And so if you think about the early days of value stream, a lot of early day value stream stuff was focused around mapping, right? What do we even have here? And there was this sense of, you know, you kind of have to eat the whole apple at once, right? You have to map out everything right. and then figure out if there's something more to do there. And those projects were long and cumbersome and frequently failed. And, you know, it, it just, it, it never really took off. I think one of the key differences now, one thing that absolutely benefits us is that we call it, let's just turn the lights on. You know, we'll get a customer and they say, well, we want to, we want to like go in and clean up everything before we engage with you so we can have best bang for our buck here. And we say, well, how do you know it's dirty? Right? How do you know that there's there are things to clean up? So what we say is don't do anything. Just hook up the tool. We'll we'll turn the lights on. And then we'll we'll use the data to identify like where is your your biggest source spot and then work on that. And I think that's a fundamental state change in the business, in this industry, that you can get to value in 24 hours rather than taking months or quarters or years. And so once you have that that shift, right? Like value stream ma management, value stream mapping. In the old days, it was very waterfall. We got to do the whole thing before we can start. Now we can be very iterative on it. And what that's going to allow you to do is more quickly take on essentially like walk and chew gum at the same time, right? You can, you can make iterative improvements while also connecting farther and farther to the value. And so I think the future of value stream from this, you know, we call it the inside out approach that what we do is that we'll continue to get closer and closer to things like revenue and customer churn and product adoption and CSAT and these kind of like company health scores. And then we'll be able to feed that back in to product and engineering to be able to say, to, to be able to ask questions like, we have two features that we need to get across the line. They're both late. Which one should we invest in? Well, it turns out that feature A has a big impact on top line revenue and feature B has a big impact on customer churn. If we ship feature B, we'll churn less customers. If we ship feature A, we'll drive more revenue. Okay, cool. Well, which problem do we have right now? Well, it turns out we don't have any customers to renew next quarter, but we do. We are like lacking in pipeline. So let's let's focus on feature A and delay feature B. Mm -hmm. Or revenue is doing great, pipeline's looking good, but we have a bunch of grumpy customers, and they're going to churn. So let's let's invest in feature B, and we'll delay feature A, right? To be able to make that decision in the concept and the context of what what matters to the business, that makes a big difference. Yep, that's that's really phenomenal. Again, you know, as we had said earlier, uh, to, to us anyway, having watched the industry for 25 something years, uh, this really is the step that that ties business and IT together as the, you know, they've been struggling for years talking, uh, you know, using different tools, speaking different languages, nobody really understands. Uh, this really has been a, a fundamental uh, change in the way uh, things operate. So, uh, Hirsch Tapadia, uh, co-founder and CEO of AllStacks, thanks so much for your time today. Really good talking to you. Thank you so much for having me.
My pleasure. And uh, for our attendees, a couple of weeks ago, we uh, concluded our fifth uh, virtual VSMCon, a one-day event focused on value stream. Recordings are available on sdtimes.com under the events tab, uh, and you can go back and listen to them uh, as you will. Uh, and again, to all you folks listening, thanks for doing so. We appreciate uh, you spending a couple of minutes with us today. And until next time, I'm Dave Rubenstein, Editor-in-Chief of SD Times. So long for now. <laughs>